You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've got a great tech show for you today. Later on, uh, we'll be chatting uh, with uh, an author, a professor, who's arguing that uh, Facebook might not necessarily be a bad monopoly. I know we've uh, heard a lot of bad things about Facebook over the past few years. Uh, They basically are the dominant platform for messaging and social media. Uh, She will argue that uh, for innovation, sometimes these types of big companies are uh, are better. So I'm fascinated to to have that discussion. John, we're also going to be talking uh, about your adventures with a laser cutter, which is kind of exciting times. I I think I'm more excited about this than you are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been on my shopping list for over 10 years. So uh, to finally get one is pretty huge for me. Let's look at some of the the tech news now, uh, John. This one was a a big one for me. Ring. Uh, That's the video doorbell. Uh, They also make lights and security cams. They're owned by Amazon. They've just announced a new $80 video doorbell, which just blows me away. Because typically these things have been hundreds of dollars. And somehow they've been able to bring this one down to 80 bucks. Or $59 US, which yeah, I think, for like a I name brand you, doorbell is like fantastic price. Right. And I think even on the best sale, like a Black Friday sale or something like that, the best you could expect to pay for a ring was about 150 bucks. I think it was the absolute cheapest for like a couple models old version of it. Um, usually it's around $200 and up depending on the features and the, you know, how HD is it, that type of thing. There is an interesting thing though about this. This is the wired only one. So it's not a wireless video doorbell. You do need to have basically your, your old school doorbell has typically two wires that allow it to work as a switch at your front door. So you need to have that so that it actually can get power because it doesn't have a battery to store that stuff. It gets it power it gets it powered directly off your house wiring. Um, this is going to be shipping February 24th. Uh, it has pretty well most of the features that the higher end models do. It's got HD video, two-way talk, advanced motion detection, and real-time alerts sent right to your phone or Alexa device. I can't help but think, John, that this is their attempt at a, a gateway product to get them into the Ring Amazon ecosystem to customers to get them in there. Yeah, you and I both subscribe to their cloud service for our doorbells. And I think that's probably where the money is actually being made is they're, they're just hosting um, the video clips that are generated by the doorbell. And, uh, you know, it, it's not expensive. It's I think it's about 30 bucks a year or something like it's pretty inexpensive for for that service. Um, but it's also something I can't live without because I use it all the time when I'm not at home or even when I'm at home just to see, you know, is it the FedEx guy or is it my food being delivered or whatever else? Um, just from my phone. Yeah, they've they've sucked me into their world. Like I started off with the uh, the video doorbell, the Ring video doorbell, and I have to say I love it. It's just bulletproof, John. You know, I just love tech when it just works, and I, I don't have to monkey around with it. So uh, I started expanding. They they've got other types of outdoor and indoor security cams and special lights you can have over your garage. Uh, but yeah, to get it all working properly, you need to have the subscription. That's the thing. That's where. <laughs> where they, uh, you know, obviously make their money. Like you said, if you just want the the Ring video doorbell, I think for around 30 bucks a year, you can get all the cloud recording so you can watch, you know, recorded videos that it's captured. Um, but I had to go to the Plus plan, which is, you know, uh, I think over $100 a year. 
because I had multiple yeah. uh, devices uh, in there. But that you know that price, eighty bucks for a video doorbell, that is a huge shot uh, across all the competitors right now. Yeah, and and the fact that it also integrates with your smart assistants as well. So if you have a screen or say like a, a Fire TV or something like that in your house, you can actually see the doorbell video on those smart assistants or on your TV as well, which is huge. Well, I was talking to a friend today and he just said, Mike, I live in the future now. I'm like, what? He said, I uh, was at work and uh, I had a package delivered to me. They rang my video doorbell. It came up on my phone. I talked to the delivery driver. I unlocked my smart smart door lock, asked him to put it inside, and he closed the door, and then I locked it, and he was on his way. He, he thought he had, had, had arrived, and I guess in many ways he had. Well, it is, feels pretty futuristic. You're letting a stranger into your house to deliver a package securely. So yeah. um, it is pretty great when it works. Anyway, that'll uh, be coming out in uh, later February, and we'll uh, get our hands on one and uh, test it out to see uh, how good it uh, is. Uh, big, big uh, announcement here for the Apple users out there for iPhone and iPad uh, owners. There's a, a major security flaw that uh, Apple has uh, discovered, and they're uh, actively telling all Apple users to upgrade the uh, the operating system to the latest uh, iOS or iPad OS. Yeah, this affects um, iPhone 6S and later, also iPad Air 2 and later, iPad Mini 4 and later, and even the iPod Touch 7th generation. So pretty much anything from the last few years um, that should be updated to the latest version. So go into your settings, general software update on any of those devices and make sure you're having, you have the latest version so that you can patch these exploits. Some of these exploits are pretty nasty too. Um, they can basically allow a hacker to run software on your device uh, through a browser just by visiting a web page and other things like that, which we've traditionally thought of Apple being sort of immune to these types of exploits uh, because of the way that their uh, system is set up and how all these things are sandboxed and sort of secure in their own little own little boxes. But uh, this sounds like this flaw is a pretty big deal and they're making a big push to have everybody just get updated. And, you know, it's a free update. There's no reason not to update. Uh, unless you have a really old device, you might not be able to update. But um, definitely recommend you do that. Uh, I've got all mine updated already. So again, for any iPhone uh, users out there that have iPhone 6S uh, uh, or above, make sure you do get that uh, update. And also uh, for the iPad folks out there as well. Did you see this warning from Apple? Uh, they're suggesting that people don't put their iPhones near their pacemaker. <laughs> yes. I, I think people with pacemakers probably know what they shouldn't be putting near their pacemaker. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's not a new thing, right? They, they've always suggested don't put electronic devices near things like mm-hmm. your pacemaker, like just even regular cell phones. Yeah, or it, like you said, any electronics. Um, but I, I'm sure their doctor would have gone over all that with them too. But I, I don't know if this is because there's been a rise of problems with people with iPhones and pacemakers or if it's just another reminder from them to say, hey, keep that stuff away from your, your pacemaker. Well, obviously, uh, you should check with your doctor if that's uh, uh, something that you're concerned uh, about. Uh, Google Assistant uh, soon will show fitness and health data on uh, their smart displays. So if you've got those uh, Google Nest hubs or hub maxes, uh, you should be able to get uh, your fitness and health data on that. I think that's kind of cool. Kind of like what uh, Apple Fitness is uh, doing with their Apple Fitness Plus. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, I guess it depends on the angle. Is it is it to get you motivated uh, you're in the kitchen <laughs> loading up on some pie, some midnight pie. Um, or is it, 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 you know, is it basically just to sort of let you keep tabs on things 
passively? It's a good question. It's a good question. We'll have to uh, have to try it out. We'll have to try it out. Uh, this was uh, another interesting uh, thing uh, in the Amazon Alexa world, John. Uh, I think we both have those devices in our home as well. And I've, I've, I think I've uh, set mine off here <laughs> too. Uh, Alexa can now act on its own hunches to turn off lights and, and even more like your thermostat. Yeah, this is, you know, uh, people with smart devices either love them or and or people that don't have them are afraid of them because it's kind of creepy and uh, kind of disturbing. But they've built in this feature and it's available now. You can go in and, and you can enable it in the Alexa app and it will then uh, do a couple different things. One, it can sort of, uh, if it detects that you're sleeping and, and, and I don't know how it's detecting that you're sleeping or not, uh, it will turn off lights around you. And you can turn this feature off if you don't want it to turn off the lights while you're sleeping. Um, or if it detects that you're away from your house, it can, on a hunch, turn off all your lights so that your house is dark. I leave some of my lights on in my house for my cat. I just prefer to have her be able to walk around and not have to use her night vision to <laughs> get around. Um, but it's also just so people know that maybe there's someone home too. But um, so I, I'm not sure how that's going to work in concert with some of the other smart lighting features that you might have like on a schedule for example like is your schedule going to turn on the light and then alexa is going to turn it off it's yeah it's um it's a good question uh, and again you you have to have one of their amazon echo devices with uh, you know their voice assistant built in but also uh you have to have uh smart home stuff as well like smart lights that you've yeah, connected it, with it they have quite a huge list of compatible things for it. One feature I did like though, that they just added to the app at the same time is there's an energy dashboard now, which will show you how much energy those smart lights are consuming, which is really cool. We're gonna have to take a break. When we come back, there's still a lot more to talk about on Get Connected today, including a discussion on Facebook that it might be that it's good that they're a monopoly. We'll talk to a, a professor about that. And uh, right away after the break, we'll be talking about laser cutters and some cool things uh, you can do at home with them. You listen, Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. We have lots of great content up there. Lots of reviews on tech uh, stuff, everything from smart homes to cell phones how-to tips, and also our contest. We're giving away a YubiKey. This is a little uh, USB key that will make not only your computer, but your smartphone extra secure. If you want a chance to win, again, getconnectedmedia.com. Hit the contest page. It's uh, actually under uh, the newsletter tab, and all the instructions are there. And once you're entered, you're entered into uh, being all the contests uh, this year. We're giving away thousands of dollars of prizes. John, uh, let's talk about uh, something that you've uh, just got your hands on, and I know you've been looking at this for uh, a while now, a laser cutter. I know you've been big into 3D printing. You're uh, very much uh, a creative guy. Uh, Tell us what a laser cutter is and and what it can do. So basically what a laser cutter is, is it's a a big box. You put materials in it, raw materials, and it can let you cut it with a laser. Um, That's that's why it's called the laser cutter. Um, I recently came across uh, a deal too good to be true, uh, or at least I, I, I was a little nervous it was going to be too good to be true on Craigslist, and I was able to purchase a Glowforge, uh, which is a kind of like a hobby semi-pro laser cutter. It's a very uh, small device compared to some of these machines, and these machines typically cost anywhere from 
ten thousand to twenty or thirty thousand dollars, no no problem, depending on how big and what kind of materials they can they can deal with. The one I got is meant for uh, you know it's got a fairly small uh, compartment that you put your material in, so it can I can cut wood, I can cut uh, acrylic plastic, uh, I can cut uh, leather, uh, I can etch all these things as well. I can even score them, so you can do you know paper, cardboard. Uh, kind of you name it in that kind of space you can you can do that so i've been wanting one for a long time for a number of reasons one of them is you can make some really nice cases for things with with cut acrylic for example or cut wood uh and there's tons and tons of free plans on the internet kind of like 3d printing uh there's a lot of websites dedicated to having uh all the sort of the, the details and the how-tos and, and the actual plans that you would download, load into the software and press go. Um, the nice thing about the Glowforge is that it's very simple to use. Uh, you use a web browser interface to sort of manage and it, the device itself has a camera in it, uh, actually a couple of cameras, but you can actually see your raw material in there. You can even put like your, say your, your iPad or your MacBook, you can put it in there. You can take a picture of it with the software and then you can etch your favorite logos right onto the actual uh, anodized aluminum. It can't cut metal, but it can etch some metals that have been coated, uh, like a MacBook or an iPad, for example. Um, but you can cut leather and you can score it, so then you can then fold it and make a wallet or a purse or that type of thing. Um, and all kinds of signs and trinkets and keychains and you know, it really is the sky's the limit uh, for these machines. Um, the big challenge has always been like, these are, you know, semi-industrial machines. You need to have good ventilation uh, and you need to have uh, the raw materials as well, which is can be a little tricky to find sometimes. How big uh, of an item can you put in there? Uh, the, the bed that I have, I can do 12 inches by about 19 inches. So it's not a huge thing, but it's, you know, bigger than a piece of paper size thing. And a lot of the places that you would go to get the raw materials will cut those materials down for you. You can get stuff online shipped to you, or you can go to Home Depot and get the wood and cut it to size uh, there, and then it'll fit in there. Um, I have the basic Glowforge, which is the, the least expensive one, and it starts at about 3,000 US. It ships so, what? What? 3,000? Yeah, 3,000 US. Oh, yeah. you're, you're making too much money. Uh, well, I split it with a friend <laughs> okay. who is equally interested in it, but we didn't pay that much. We, we, we paid it. We, well, so, you know, that's roughly like 4,000 Canadian, uh, but then you have to ship it from Seattle, and there's a two-month waiting list for these devices because they're, they're in hot demand. Um, so we saved a, a, a good chunk of change thanks to this Craigslist deal that we got, and it was a brand-new sealed unit. So, um, But they also have a, a pro model, which actually has a pass-through port on it, so you can actually do bigger pieces of material, and you can sort of feed it through uh, the machine. So uh, it just really depends on what you want to do with it and what kinds of things you want to make. But um, literally, if you just Google Glowforge, you'll find their website, and you'll find tons and tons of examples uh there seems to be a pretty huge community of people that use these machines on etsy uh, to create various customizable things so you want trinkets for your wedding party you want uh customized things uh for pretty much any occasion you can get those on etsy either the files themselves or the actual trinkets customized by someone that has a device like this um what kind of consumables are involved you know besides the materials you're cutting or or etching um, you know, if you had like a, you know, a saw, like eventually you'd have to replace the blades and that type of thing. Do you have to replace the lasers after a while? Yeah, this particular uh, machine has a 40 watt laser tube 
and they say it's rated for about two years of use. Uh, it's a little unclear as to how much use that is, uh, and it's about $500 US to replace that. But I th I've heard uh, stories from a lot of people that I have a friend that has one since they were first launched, and it's over four years old now, and it's still fine. He hasn't had to replace anything. So, But he's more of a casual user like, like I plan to be as well. So, um, But the other thing is basically you have to clean everything because uh, when you're cutting these materials, they generate some smoke, they generate some particles, and the, the system has a, a really, really good fan for evacuating the chamber and getting that stuff out. So you need to have a filter to... You know, clean that stuff up. You can also buy uh, a, a, a standalone uh, carbon filter machine. It's about a thousand US that will allow you to run it in the house without having to have any ventilation. Uh, so that's what they use for like schools and those types of things uh, to allow you to run it without having to ventilate it because it just goes all through this. This basically it looks like a like a mini bar fridge almost that it processes all that uh, exhaust. But most people just put it out their window and uh, and filter it on the way out. You know I'm going to be getting you to cut everything now. Yeah, well, I already cut the Get Connected logo for you. Yes, so. thank you. <laughs> There's more coming. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to take a break. We still have a lot more to talk about. Uh, after the break, is Facebook a good or bad monopoly? Should it be shut down? Well, we've uh, got a professor that thinks uh, monopoly sometimes can be good for innovation. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. I want to talk about something really interesting now. You know, I think uh, a lot of us have been following in the news, the big tech companies like the Googles and, and the Facebooks. Uh, Facebook especially has been in the news quite a bit over the past uh, few years, uh, just with them kind of eating up a lot of the uh, the competition. Uh, they, you know, recently purchased Instagram and WhatsApp. Uh, you know, they're one of the largest uh, messaging and social platforms in the world. However, in 2020, in fact, on December 9th, 2020, the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S. has sued Facebook due to its anti-competitive conducts, including the acquisition of its rivals Instagram in 2012 and WhatsApp in 2014. We're... Uh, going to talk about the impact of that and are monopolies bad or good in these situations we have a great guest her name is uh medea entazarkar uh thanks for joining us today and uh, thanks for having me uh i wanted to get you on the program because uh you uh had some interesting thoughts you're an associate uh, professor of economics and basically you're you're arguing potentially that these types of mergers and monopolies are good for innovation. Yes. Why would I, I think you know a lot of listeners right now are thinking no, <laughs> that's not true. But why, why why do you say that? Um. So the argument. I mean, um, uh, one of the important questions in the economic literature is that what is the best market structure for promoting innovation. Um, there is no doubt that uh, monopoly is problematic for consumers because monopoly results in higher prices and limits the available choices for consumers. And this is kind of uh, bad for consumers and it lowers consumer welfare. However, uh, the argument uh, in a series of papers that I have published with my co-author, Dr. Said Moshiri at the University of Saskatchewan, uh, is examining whether monopoly could have any benefit for innovative activities of firms. Uh, so, 
in these papers, uh, we looked at the impact of, uh, we, we basically looked at the relation between mergers and innovation. Um, so the argument is that uh, merger results in uh, larger and less competitive firms. And therefore, they can provide resources like financial resources and knowledge-based resources for innovative activities and therefore promote innovation. So altogether in our research, the argument is that, okay, it is well established in the literature that uh, monopoly could be harmful for consumers in terms of prices and their choices, but it is also possible that monopoly promotes innovation. So when we are evaluating a monopoly, we should consider both of the positive and negative impacts of this monopoly. I, it's a really interesting uh, track you're going down there, but how, how has Facebook responded to the Federal Trade Commission? I don't think they're using your argument, are they? <laughs> so uh, obviously, as you, you explained, FTC sued Facebook uh, because of the acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp in 2012 and 2014. Uh, and now the argument of FTC is not only about those acquisitions, but also about the actions that Facebook took after those acquisitions. Uh, for example, um, Facebook uh, hosted Vine as a, a video sharing uh, company uh, on its website and suddenly it decided to cut access uh, to, the Facebook, uh, to the services provided by Facebook. So therefore, FTC thinks that these are examples of anti-competitive behavior uh, following the, these acquisitions. And let me just explain quickly this one, um, the concept of monopoly and competition here, and then I go to what Facebook is responding. So think about a market when there is only one firm supplying in that market, therefore we have a monopoly. Uh, once me, me, more firms start entering that market, so we are moving away from that monopoly and go towards competition, meaning that we have more and more players in the market. Um, so when Facebook acquired these companies, the, argue, the argument of FTC is that, okay, the market in terms of players in it, uh, in the personal social networking market, uh, it became a, a smaller in terms of players, and this is anti-competitive, basically, in, in a simple word. Now, obviously, Facebook responded that, okay, so first of all, antitrust authorities approved these mergers in 2012 and 2014. If you were not happy, you, should, you shouldn't have approved that. Um, and second of all, when we took these two companies, we didn't know that the company is going to be successful, these two companies. And we invested our resources, our knowledge, um, our financial sources, and it was total uncertainty. And then now they are successful, basically. So this is the response of Facebook. Now, I would like to um, explain here that these arguments are kind of pointing to an open question in the economic literature. Uh, we, about the relation between market structure and innovation. And the, the simple question is that, okay, more competition is better for innovation, like what is uh, kind of implied by FTC? Because FTC says that if we have more competition, uh, first of all, it is good for consumers in terms of prices, and it is also good for innovation because uh, more competition um, makes firms to lower their costs and be more efficient and provide more products in the market. And uh, the other part of the literature is, oh no, maybe less competition is better for innovation because of monopoly um, that it can provide resources for innovation, provides like knowledge, financial sources. So it's an open question in the theoretical literature. And therefore my co-author and I, 
we try to contribute to this aspect to the literature by doing empirical research. Obviously, our research is not the only empirical research that looks at the relation between uh, innovation and market structure, uh, but we specifically uh, looked at um, uh, publicly traded U.S. manufacturing firms and examined this question to be able to provide some insights for policymakers uh, on this front. So you did research into other companies uh, to see if these mergers and, and monopolies uh, were, were, I guess, better. And what did you find? Um, so uh, we, we didn't focus on a specific company. It was a case study. We looked at uh, like all firms in the manufacturing sector. And our results showed a positive impact uh, from mergers on innovation. Now, mergers result in larger and less competitive firms. So as, for example, an acquiring company goes and obtain a target company, uh, it's kind of moving away from a more monopoly market toward more competitive um, structure. And we found that uh, merger results in higher innovation and kind of um, on average, and I have to re reiterate that it is on average, um, that it's kind of showing that uh, as moving as firms are moving toward more monopoly, they provide more resources and knowledge base for innovative activities. Because basically, they have more money and resources to make that uh, happen. But it's interesting with the FTC and just with the nature of all the companies that they have to to monitor. Um, do you think sometimes uh, it's sometimes difficult with these tech companies and these social media companies to get them, you know, wrap their heads around that? Uh, you mean FTC wraps heads yeah, around? Yes, or, yes. Uh, no, I, what, what we are saying in this research is that, okay, obviously um, antitrust authorities, regulatory authorities should regulate a monopoly. What? Because monopoly has its negative impacts like higher prices, lower choices, and these are well established in the literature. There is no argument about that. We also, but what we also say on top of that is that, okay, sometimes monopoly can be good for innovation and therefore it can contribute to economic growth. So when these authorities are evaluating a monopoly, not only they should consider negative effects, but also the positive effects and see that, okay, what is the impact in total? So our um, research by, by it's not, it doesn't mean that we are providing support for Facebook to say that this is a good monopoly. We are just saying that there are both positive and negative effects, and we provide empirical evidence for that. Uh, and now it's up to authorities to, for example, in the case of Facebook, to compare um, the negative welfare effects against the positive effects to decide whether this, this monopoly is good or bad. We're having a fascinating uh, talk about Facebook and just the overall impact of their monopoly. Uh, is that better for innovation? Uh, we've been talking with uh, Medea Entezakar. She is uh, an Associate Professor for Economics in Huron at the University of Western Ontario. Uh, what, what do you think, uh, you know, how do you, how do you rec reconcile what, uh, you know, the FTC is, 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 is saying uh, compared to public opinion? I think a lot of people in the public uh, would think it, it is just bad. Facebook is bad. <laughs> So um, uh, what we can, we can only talk uh, as much as we have done research. I can't uh, give comments more than that. So based on the evidence that we found, uh, 
we were able to find evidence to show that monopoly could be good on average for innovation. So that's the only thing we found in, in the series of these three papers. And uh, I would like also to add that sometimes um, firms merge more because of their innovation, because when innovation is done, knowledge is generated and knowledge is like a public good, so others can easily copy that. And firms to protect themselves, sometimes they also go after merger. Um, so altogether, we found evidence that, okay, monopoly could be good for innovation. Um, there are also other studies in the literature with different uh, data sets, different methodologies that they also found evidence for more monopoly is better for innovation. Um, but, um, but by all means, I don't know. I mean, this is up to FTC to evaluate the negative and positive effects together. We didn't do any cases study on Facebook, basically. Well, we want to uh, thank you for joining us uh, today and uh, uh, good luck on future research. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We come back from the break. More tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. Uh, John, you are a, a big Mac user. And I guess one of the reasons uh, you continue to uh, go with the uh, Apple gear is just uh, the overall service. You had an interesting uh, story about uh, your old MacBook. How old is that thing now? Four years. That, yeah, that's getting old for a laptop, right? You would think, but it still performs really. I mean, I did pay a lot for it back in the day. Like it was a 2016, like a December 2016 purchase. Yeah. And I I think I spent about $4,000 on it. Like it was not cheap. Yeah. I needed... I had lots of extra RAM installed. I had a bigger um, hard drive SSD, and I also had the maximum CPU that was available at the time. So, but, but I'm still using it like it's a brand new computer. And we talked about it before, but I had a problem with my battery was not sort of up to stuff. And this particular unit, uh, I think might be fairly popular with some of the listeners because it was one of the first ones that, that had like the touch the touch bar um, and it was sort of their, their first major foray into USB-C and living in a dongle world where everything needs a dongle now. Um, so I think a lot of people bought this particular model. And what's interesting though is I had a battery issue and I also had the keyboard issue. And the, if you remember the butterfly keyboard problem that everyone was sort of up in arms about yep. uh, for the MacBook, it also had that. So I got the entire bottom half of my MacBook replaced uh, last year. <laughs> it's it's it not even the same laptop, laptop anymore. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but but I got basically the entire bottom replaced. And you know, for a four-year-old laptop that was out of warranty, you know, I only had the one-year warranty with it. Um, and now I've started to have what's... Um, it's basically it's a backlight problem and this is a, something that i wasn't sure if it was normal or not but i ended up finding that the a apple actually has a service program for 13 inch macbook pros that have a backlight issue and you can tell you have the backlight issue because anytime you're looking uh primarily on a white uh, web page for example you'll see some some weird lighting coming up from the bottom of the display uh everything still looks proper but you've got these additional like almost like led spotlights coming up from the bottom and they will actually replace your display for free. Um, so your whole display? Yeah. On a yeah. four-year-old laptop? Right. Yeah. So now I'm getting the top lid part of my MacBook replaced completely for free. Uh, and they, the nice thing is you take it to the Apple Store. And I tell this to everybody. If you have any problems, just take it to the Apple Store. They will give you a quote. And often they will just do it for free. But if you do have to pay for it, uh, they will tell you before they they do it 
So if nothing else, you see, at least you know what the problem is and how much it would cost to fix it. They told me that this particular service is a $900 service um, that I get, and they showed me the $0 that I'm going to be paying for it when it comes back from the shop. So it's pretty pretty compelling reason to spend the money on a MacBook because uh, what other laptop manufacturer will replace your screen and keyboard and battery four years John, after you bought it? John, no one. <laughs> what? Right. Right. That is that is crazy. I, I can't yeah. believe that. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty happy. I mean, my laptop just keeps going, and I feel good about the investment that I paid at the time because I know it still performs like it did the day I got it. Like I haven't had any slowdowns or anything like that, and now I'm getting new components all the time from Apple for free. So. Yeah, I wish some of the other manufacturers had better service that way. Do you know what I mean? Well, and I think that's part of the the thing that Apple has the advantage because they have Apple stores. You know, not a lot of companies have stores that you can go to to get, you know, uh, first party service. You know, there's lots of third party services. You can go to Best Buy and get the Geek Squad to look at it or Lona Drugs has their service departments. Then they're all, you know, depending on the manufacturer, they're all certified by those companies to service those laptops or devices. And um, but I think Apple just sort of does it right. I think you're right uh, on that. Okay, we are going to have to take a break. Don't forget to hit our website on a regular basis, getconnectedmedia.com. Lots of great uh, videos, uh, reviews, how-tos. And also check out our YouTube channel, the uh, Get Connected uh, Media YouTube channel. Lots of fantastic videos up there. We'd love you to subscribe. It helps us make even more videos. uh, And uh, also like them as well and and leave your comments there. We'd love to hear what uh, type of videos you'd like to see as well. We come back from the break. More tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected, Mike and John here. It's been a great uh, program uh, today. Want to uh, throw it to our contest again. We're giving away a, a UB key. This is a little hardware device. It looks like a little USB key. It will actually fit into computers, laptops, and even smartphones, including iPhones. And it just takes your security up to the next level. So it's stronger than passwords because it's got uh, you know the hardware encryption happening uh, as well. If you want a chance to win one or find out more information about it, hit our website at getconnectedmedia.com and hit the newsletter tab. Subscribe and you're entered to win. And our newsletter is fantastic. Every week it comes out and we uh, give you all the latest information on the radio shows and podcasts that we're doing and also helpful uh, tips and tricks to make your techie life that much uh, easier. And also, don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show. It's on uh, every Sunday in most cities. Uh, In Toronto, it's uh, on Saturday nights. Uh, We talk all about the world of apps and mobile technology. And you can find out more information about that, of course, on our website as well, getconnectedmedia.com. I want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together, including John, my co-host and producer, and also Christina, back at the studio. We'll see you again next time.